Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and I am the founder of Directional Ministries, located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. I also serve churches in the areas of pulpit supply, conferences, retreats, and revivals, as the Lord provides opportunity. If I can be of service to you or your ministry, I would love to hear from you. Last time we were together on this subject, what does the Bible say in regards to divorce? We looked at a few things and we started out in Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 9 when Jesus had finished uh, these sayings. He departed from Galilee and came to the coast of Judea beyond the Jordan and multitudes followed him. He healed them and the Pharisees came to him tempting him. In other words, they were baiting him and they said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife just for any reason? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them in the beginning made them male and female? For this cause man, shall a man leave his mother and his father, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be two, be one, then the two shall become one flesh. Wherefore they are no longer two, but now they're one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. And then, of course, they went back and quoted uh, that Moses did give them permission to write a certificate of divorcement. And he said, Moses did this because of the hardness of your hearts. And he allowed you to put away your wives, but, but from the beginning, it was not so. And he goes on and, and Jesus says, I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and shall marry another one's committing adultery. And whoever marries her that is put, put away also commits adultery. So the Pharisees, as we discussed last time, had a convenient misunderstanding of an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy chapter number 24, verses 1 through 4. And you can listen to that study. I don't want to rehash that. But the main point of Deuteronomy 24 is not divorce. The main point is remarriage after a divorce has occurred. So it wasn't condoning it. It was just saying what what needed to be done after it had occurred. So the passage is, was not condoning divorce in any way like the Pharisees uh, were were assuming. It was merely an acknowledgement that divorce did happen. Okay. The passage again is not about adultery either. Adultery in the Old Testament, and people need to understand this, it was a capital offense. Uh, there were no rules ever given um, for how an adulterer was to get remarried because the adulterer did not get remarried. Okay, the adulterer was put to death. Therefore, the remaining surviving partner was allowed to remarry because their partner was dead. In Deuteronomy 22, 22, if a man be found lying with a woman uh, married to a husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shalt thou put away the evil from Israel. Okay, so we talked about that last time and and we came to the conclusion that the Old Testament never condoned divorce except for adultery, which always led to death for the guilty party. And again, of course, the innocent remaining partner was free to remarry. So now we fast forward into the New Testament and we look at this passage where Jesus is speaking in Matthew. Jesus is not condoning divorce in this passage or any other. Instead, he is merely quoting the Old Testament passage on the issue. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 31, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries her that's divorced committeth adultery with her. Again, Jesus is merely quoting the Old Testament. He is saying, reiterating, that any divorce other than for adultery is not recognized by God. God's views on this issue have never changed. As a matter of fact, Malachi chapter 2.16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts, so take heed to your spirit that you do not deal so treacherously. So that's, that's pretty direct. So in the end, under the Old Testament Mosaic law, God does not recognize any divorce except for the reasons of adultery. No one can argue with that then or today. So that's the question for today. Can we get divorces, remarry, and still be in the will of God under the new covenant? Now, I believe the answer to that is yes, as long as there are scriptural reasons. I believe that there are three clear reasons given in the New Testament for justifiable divorce. And as the way I see the scriptures, they are adultery, desertion, and death. Now, unfortunately, there are many who hold that no matter the reason for the divorce, one can never, ever remarry because of the Old Testament Mosaic law. That is not true because we are not under the Old Testament Mosaic law. Christ fulfilled the law so that we do not have to. Remember, we are not under the Old Testament, Old Testament Mosaic law. We are under the new covenant of grace. Now, some will say, okay, well, we get over into the New Testament. Look what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be remarried to another she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In this passage, Paul is illustrating a doctrinal truth. He is simply saying that we are free from the law because we have died to our flesh and now we are free to remarry Christ. He is making a doctrinal illustration and merely using marriage as an example. He is not saying that once divorced, a person can never remarry again. Now, that being said, let's look at the three justifiable reasons given in the New Testament. Let's take the easy one first, death. That's pretty obvious. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians seven thirty nine, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will, only in the Lord. Now this passage clearly states that once one partner has died, the other partner is free to remarry. However, the only stipulation was is that it must be in the Lord. In other words, they must not be 
unequally yoked. We're warned. Paul told told us in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? In other words, if you're going to get remarried, make sure you marry another believer. And I believe there's various levels there. Unequally yoked, in my opinion, doesn't just mean that you marry another Christian. You know, the Bible says, unless two be agreed, how can they walk together? Two Christians can't necessarily walk together if they're not in agreement. In other words, they need to be going the same direction. So you can take two born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians that are unequally yoked. They have different callings in their lives. They have uh, different anointings. They have uh, different dreams, different desires, different things that they want to do to serve the Lord. Well, those two people don't need to come together because one of them is going to have to compromise or sell out to the other one. Okay. In order for that marriage to be a success, that's not an equally yoked marriage. That's an unequally yoked marriage. So death, obviously, uh, the woman is free from, um, from the law of marriage and she is able to remarry as long as it's in the Lord. Now, the second reason is adultery. Now, remember that in the Old Testament, once adultery took place, the offending party was put to death. It was a pretty open and shut case. However, we do not live in the Old Testament anymore. We cannot kill our cheating partners. That would cause us to break man's law. So instead of stoning, divorce is the only option that we have under the New Testament. However, I do not believe that divorce should be the first option. I believe that God wants forgiveness. God wants reconciliation to take place, if at all possible. But if it's not possible, then I do see justifiable grounds for that. And the divorce becomes the only option. If both of them want to forgive and reconcile, I believe that's God's ideal. But if one or both don't want to, then I believe that divorce is the only is the only option. And in that case, I believe that the offended can remarry while the offender cannot. Now, I believe that once adultery takes place, it divides the one flesh of the marriage mentioned in Genesis 2.24, and it creates a new one. Now, again, God would prefer forgiveness. God would prefer reconciliation. But I do see grounds for divorce and remarriage and adultery under the new covenant. Now, in regards to desertion, um, this is never mentioned by our Lord. It's only mentioned by the Apostle Paul. Paul speaks to it in 1 Corinthians seven twelve when he says, But to the rest I speak not speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let her not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, cases, but God hath called us unto peace. So here is a case where a husband or a wife gets saved and the unbelieving spouse decides to leave. Paul said, let them go. 
Paul recommends that the, des- that the deserted spouse actually remain single. He feels that that's, that's a better option, that they would be better off if they simply remained single. But he also tells us that it is not a sin if he or she decides that they need to remarry. And we see that in 1 Corinthians, and I'll get over there real quick. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 28, when he says, But if, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh. So he does give a warning. You know, he's saying, you know, I mean, if, if you, you know, it's better to marry than to burn. Um, if, if you're going to get remarried, then you're not sinning to do so. But he's given a little warning here that they will have trouble in the flesh. In other words, you'd better spend a great deal of time in prayer before you even think about it. You need to look deep before you leap because there are consequences for everything. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 32 as he goes on to explain, but I would have you, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. So in other words, you will have trouble in the flesh. You're not going to be able to serve God necessarily as you would if if you still remain single. But the bottom line, the conclusion is, and I'm going to suggest to you that a good marriage takes work. It's not for the faint hearted. We have to be willing to leave and to cleave and to weave and work on our marriages, leave the families, leave the in-laws. We got to cleave to one another and we got to work on the marriage. But I believe that there are three justifiable reasons, as we have discussed, uh, death, adultery and desertion. You know, statistically, um, the five causes for divorce, and this is found on, uh, of course, nowadays, you don't have to really, I guess, sue someone for divorce. They just simply put on their unreconcilable differences. But if you dig a little deeper, I read a few years ago that the number one cause for divorce is actually money. Uh, Money creates a lot of tension in a marriage uh, for young couples, uh, especially as the two become one flesh and they're leaving and they're cleaving. Uh, And it's very important that they start weaving in that relationship because money becomes an issue. Don't live beyond your means. When you start stretching yourself beyond your means, you're going to have problems in your marriage. Money creates a lot of stress. And I I think we need to live within our means. You know, I tell young couples, I mean, if you're planning on mom staying at home, taking care of the babies, well, when you first get married, don't base your living arrangements on both of your incomes. Okay, don't get a house that requires both of you to work. Get a house, get a car, get a living arrangement, where just the husband can work and you guys can live with contentment. Because if the babies come and you're over your heads in monthly payments with mortgages and car payments and things like that, mom's not going to be able to stay at home and money's going to become an issue. 
Okay, money, fighting over money. You know, I hear couples say all the time, well, his money, my money. No, it is our money. It's his checkbook, my checkbook. I think that's dangerous. Okay, uh, when you when you get married, you become one flesh. And the number one cause for divorce is the issue of money. Number two is sexuality, which is basically adultery. You know, we live in a very provocative culture. Everything is sold with sex, male and female. It's in front of us. We live in a culture that doesn't necessarily see anything wrong with adultery anymore. You know, after all, quote, everybody does it. We live in a very promiscuous society where adultery is no longer frowned upon. You know, I've said this a million times. Um, the only thing, the only difference between adultery and fornication and homosexuality today is that the church has embraced fornication and, and adultery. It is still struggling with the idea of embracing homosexuality, but it is slowly doing it one step at a time. Unfortunately, sadly, neither of them should be embraced at all. The number three reason is in-laws. One or both do not leave. Okay, uh, The in-laws have too much influence in the marriage. And I encourage you, uh, you become one flesh with your husband. You become one flesh with your wife. There's nothing wrong with going to your in-laws and asking for a little bit of advice but they do not need to be sticking their noses into your marriage. You do not need to subvert them by running to them, complaining about your spouse because they will always take your side because they love you. And if you're not careful, they will hate her for you. That is called subversion. And then when everything's forgiven and you're ready to move on, the in-laws still hate your spouse and you did it. It's your fault. Be careful. Keep them at a distance. Number four is a breaking of fellowship or what secular people would call recreational differences. They just drift apart. This normally happens in marriages after 20 years. The kids are gone. The empty nest syndrome sets in and they look at each other and realize that they never really knew one another. You know, I tell young couples, be together three years at a minimum before you have children. Fall in love with that other person. Get to know that other person. Really fall in love with them because the whole dating process is a ruse. Okay. Um, you look your best. She looks her best. Her breath never stinks. You know, everything's all where it needs to be. But then when you get married, the facade comes down. You need to get to know each other before you have children. Because if you get married nine months later, not even that, three months later into the relationship, she's already having morning sickness. Then the body begins to do some weird things, hormonals, you know, and then the children come. And you never really, you, you, children is the only thing that's holding you together because you have no memories after marriage other than children. And I think what happens is we begin to break fellowship with one another. And the only thing that was holding us together after all those years is simply the children.
And the number five reason for divorce that's listed is parenting differences. Can't agree on how to raise the children. I believe that is why all of these reasons are why premarital counseling is a must. We need to sit down and discuss these things. How are the children going to be raised? I don't believe you're in an equally yoked relationship if you marry someone out of the faith or you marry something, someone that's in another faith different from yours. You need to be in agreement how you're going to raise your children. Because one of you, just the fact that opposites attract in the marital relationship, one of you is going to be heavy-handed. And one of you is going to be grace. I call it law and grace. One of you is going to have a very heavy-handed approach to parenting. Uh, the other one is going to tend to have a light hand in when it comes to parenting. And I think that's good. I think it brings about balance. Okay, If both of you were law, then you'd probably be in prison. Okay, and if both of you are grace, then you're going to you're going to raise a bunch of little wild Indians. Okay, uh, you need to recognize who you are and the way that God made you and what you're bringing to the table, and accept that from each other. Now, while those are the five reasons that are given for divorce, let me tell you what the real reasons for divorce are. Okay, it's not adultery. It's not abandonment. Now, death, obviously, no option there, but it's selfishness and it's immaturity. Those are the real reasons. It all becomes about self and immaturity. That is the real reasons for divorce. And I pray that your marriage, I know that I've been married 30 years. I've been with my wife for 33 years. We've been through some valleys. We've been on some mountaintops. It takes work. It is not easy. Okay, it's 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 it takes work. That's that leaving, cleaving and weaving, continually working on the marriage. So there you have it. The three justifiable reasons and the real reasons for divorce. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember always that God loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.